The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's the second week of our summer series, Navigating the New Office, and I'm co-hosting these six episodes with our producer, Sarah Storm. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jesse. I'm so excited for today. Last week, we talked about interpersonal relationships, and this week we have, like, the ideal follow-up episode. Right. Because last week, if you think about it, it was a lot about how we know other people Mm -hmm. better, how we... Basically, despite being perhaps far away from them or working at different hours than them, understand how to key into who they are and uh, find meaning with them. Exactly. And this week, we're going to talk about how doing that same thing for ourselves enables us to do one of the hardest things there is, change. And it's so hard to make any little change. And that's why I'm so excited that you sat down with Katie Milkman. Okay, so Katie is a behavioral scientist at Wharton. Last year, she published this book, How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And I felt like this was the right episode for right now this summer um, because we've all kind of had a lot of change foisted on us over the last couple of years. But this is a proactive approach to change. This is the kind of change, not that happens to you or that is demanded of you, but that you can elect, you can choose yourself. And that just feels important to me right now. One of my favorite things about the conversation that we're about to play for our community is that Katie's so compassionate about the ways that we trip ourselves up. And she has so many amazing strategies for getting past those moments and returning to the goal. So take out your notebook, folks, because there's going to be a lot in here that you may want to try out right away. Here's Katie. Whenever we try to change for the better, we struggle because there are so many internal obstacles to change, whether it's having the confidence to take a shot at it, whether it's forgetfulness or existing habits that are working against you. Maybe it's even the people you hear in your head because the people you've surrounded yourself with have given you a message that um, people like you don't succeed. And maybe it's that it's no fun. You find it miserable in the moment. All of those things are barriers that work against us making a change. But once we start to recognize what the barriers are, we can use tools from science to specifically counter them. I do think there's a biggest barrier and a most common, and I would say it is that change is a beast. It's unpleasant in so many cases. In so many cases, you're, you know, if you're trying to change your eating habits, you're trying to move away from things that taste better towards things that frankly taste worse. If you're trying to change your exercise habits, you're most likely moving away from lounging towards physical activity that might be a little bit painful initially. If you're trying to save more, you're probably cutting back on stuff you love. So for most of us and for most change, there's some pain involved. And the fact that there's delayed rewards and instant pain and suffering makes it tremendously challenging. It's not always the case, but I think that's the biggest. So the aha, actually, I think, comes from research showing that 
when that is the case, when you have delayed gratification associated with change, most of us think the best path, the best approach is what's most efficient? How do I get to the goal as fast as possible? What's the most effective route? Um, And research by Ayelet Fishbach at the University of Chicago and Caitlin Woolley at Cornell University shows that is a big mistake. Instead, we should be looking for a path to our goal that may not be as efficient, but will be enjoyable in the in the moment so that it's not a beast to pursue and so that we'll persist instead of procrastinating or quitting. So to make this more concrete, think about trying to get in shape. Most people would say, okay, what's the efficient way? Maybe it's Stairmaster that burns a lot of calories per minute. Let me do that. But it's kind of miserable. Sorry to whoever makes the Stairmaster. Um, <laughs> on the flip side, you might say, what's a fun way to pursue this goal? And it might be, you know, speed walking with a friend every morning or going to Zumba classes with uh, someone whose company I enjoy. That is probably not as efficient as hopping on the Stairmaster and just grinding it out. But you're going to enjoy that and you're going to persist longer. You'll keep coming back because the instant gratification component is actually there. And that we're trying to work against and fight this uphill battle. And the solution is actually to turn the uphill battle into a downhill one to figure out how do I make it so that I actually don't dread doing the thing I need to do? What can I add on top? How can I reshape the path so that I'm not facing the obstacle at all? But instead, my innate desire for instant gratification is aligned with what I need to do to get to my goal. So there's a little self-trickery here going on, Katie. You're disguising something that is perhaps intellectually good for one or that at least we have decided on inside of something that gives us immediate pleasure. Exactly. And there's lots of different ways to do it. But that seems to be the best solution that I have seen to getting things done when the barrier is present bias or, you know, I want the immediate experience to be good and I can't deal with this long term value uh, that requires short term pain. So kill the trade off, sugarcoat it. You know, it's the Mary Poppins approach, the spoonful of sugar. And I often talk about doing this in a way I've studied, which is through something I call temptation bundling. And that is distinct from choosing a different way of pursuing your goal. It's actually combining something fun with whatever you don't normally enjoy. So to stick with exercise, just to stay in one domain, but all of this can be applied to any goal, whether it's productivity, you know, learning a new language, doing household chores. Uh, temptation bundling in the context of exercise would be, I only let myself watch an indulgent TV show, like, say, Bridgerton, (laughs) while I'm working out at the gym. And now instead of dreading those workouts, which felt like a slog, I look forward to them because I can't wait to find out what happens to the characters. I'm totally engrossed in the show. Uh, Time flies while I'm at the gym. And not only that, I should say another asset of temptation bundling is if if you're overindulging in something and you limit it so you can only get it when you're doing the thing you should be doing more of you be you know you win another battle right now you're not wasting time at home watching bridgerton when you should be paying your bills or spending time with your family whatever it is that is higher value add than the tv time so that brings up actually two things i want to explore with you first of all i want to talk about habits and how difficult habits good or bad are to change if you've done one thing for a really long time introducing another thing 
even under the guise of something that we enjoy. I love the idea, for example, of exercising with friends, um, which is the thing that would make me really enjoy um, exercising. Even stair mastering with a friend could be fun if the conversation were great. Just saying. Yes, totally agree. Uh, and P.S. Research supports everything you just said. <laughs> Right. But eventually, here's the thing. Um, Since my habit right now does not include that, eventually I'm going to fall back because habits are just that strong. And so what I think a lot about is, okay, what, what then? When do I stop? How do I pick up again? Because I think that it's the human tendency and certainly my tendency to be like, oh, well, stair mastering with my friend Claire didn't work. Like, I guess I don't exercise now. That is just the nature of positive change, that there will always be setbacks. What I think arms us best for that is one, recognizing it, and two, having a plan for what we're going to do to just hop back on the wagon as opposed to just letting life sweep us away. So knowing that your friend may someday move or you may have a holiday break where you all fall out of this pattern, what is the way you're going to get back to it? I think the worst thing we can do is just not have the expectation of these disruptions and not have a fallback plan uh, in place for getting through those disruptions. That is, by the way, the way most of us take life is just, you know, it comes right at us. We're not being deliberate and stopping and pausing and looking and reflecting on, you know, what's fallen out of line and, and what's the new strategy to get it in line. And then years pass and suddenly I haven't exercised in years, right? So... (laughs) I, I think planning is a key part of all of this. And we're good at planning for some things, right? You know, if you have kids, like I have to plan their summer camps at a certain time of year. If you are regular about going to the dentist or the doctor, you sort of have a, a yearly schedule of, of getting all your medical appointments set up. Or if you have to pay your taxes, which hope I hope hopefully everyone's doing, right? You plan around that, but we often don't plan around our goals to change. And that needs to be part of the same cycle, whether it's a monthly cadence or a yearly cadence, I'd recommend monthly. I think more frequent is more useful given how quickly we can fall off, but we need those plans. And then we need to use systems just as we do in the rest of our life to get things on track. And never expect that to end. It doesn't go away. It's not like, oh, you really got it now. You can forget about worrying about systems or planning. It it does not ever go away. We always need to be checking on ourselves. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, more with Katie Milkman. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Now, we've established that it's hard to change. Very hard. One of the pitfalls people run into is that they try to change everything all at once. Now, we know that that is impossible. It's a recipe for disaster. And yet we try it anyway. Like... Every New Year's Eve, when we make our list of resolutions, I asked Katie if there's a right amount to take on. And here's what she had to say. So you're 100% right that it is a setup to fail. There's some wonderful research that's been done by a team at UCLA looking at what happens when people set multiple goals and sort of start planning for those multiple goals. And it shows that it's actually harmful. The more plans you make around different goals, the more demotivated you become because suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, this is so much. Uh, and of course, we don't hit goals if we don't plan. So that unpacking process for the multiple goals is really problematic. Um, one big goal at a time seems to be the right prescription. Of course, you may have a series of goals you want to achieve, but thinking about them as a series as opposed to a simultaneous set is really the best way to go. And if you start with one goal this Monday and get on track and start having that built into the rhythm of your life, then once that starts to feel less like an uphill battle and more like your systems are working, that's the time to introduce a focus on what okay, what was next on my list? It's sort of like a to-do list. You've got to go through it in order and it can't all be um, at the same moment with the unpacking that will overwhelm you. One thing that you talk about that I use a ton is uh, this idea of creating, fabricating a fresh start. So you have your your New Year's resolutions, which I talked about quite a lot on the show. So most frequent listeners will know that I resolved to become a vegetarian. I'm here to tell you that I am not a vegetarian. So that one didn't stick. And yet, I don't feel like all is lost on that front because my diet improved a good deal and also because I have a fresh start for myself. So I will once again attempt to become vegetarian. Maybe you could describe a little bit of, about what the fresh start effect is. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things I've ever studied. The fresh start effect is this phenomenon where when we feel like we have a new beginning in life, whether it's triggered by an arbitrary date on the calendar that signals something's changing, like a Monday or the beginning of a new year, the start of a new month, um, the celebration of a birthday, or something more substantial, right? Like a, a change in your work, a change in where you live. These moments that give us a sense of a new beginning also give us a sense that we have a clean slate and a fresh start and that we can achieve more than we would be able to otherwise. They make us feel like our past failures were the failures of almost someone else, someone in a, an old chapter of life. You know, that was the old me. This is the new me. This year, this week, this job is going to be different. And 
in a sense, it's an illusion, right? It, it's This is our mind playing tricks on us. It comes from the way that memory is constructed. We think as if we're characters in a book and we have this autobiographical narrative where we put in chapter breaks in our life stories. But it can be very functional. It can be very useful to be able to relegate things to the past and say, yeah, okay, last year I didn't manage to achieve my New Year's resolution to become a vegetarian, but that was the old me and the new me's all over it. Um, that's useful. It motivates us. It inspires us. And um, we I don't think we can create them at arbitrary moments. There, There isn't, we don't have an ability that I've seen in my research to just say, okay, today is a fresh start. It has to resonate as a meaningful date a meaningful transition that gives us this um, sense of of true freshness, if you will. <laughs> but there are a lot of moments like that, including Mondays, as, as we discussed. Um, in our research, we've shown that people do this naturally. So when we look at when people search for the term diet on Google, when they visit the gym, when they create goals on a popular goal-setting website around everything from their health to their career to their finances, they naturally create more goals at the start of a new week, month, year, following holidays, following birthdays, particularly, I should say, holidays that we associate with fresh starts. So think more dates like Labor Day and less dates like Valentine's Day. But we can also draw <laughs> attention to dates that people associate with fresh starts in our research and trigger um, more goal pursuit. And that I think is really exciting. And it suggests that all of us could do it for ourselves as well. Just as you said, on my birthday, I'm going to have a fresh start. You're taking this concept and you're using it to your advantage. You're pegging your goals to that date. And I think we can look for more opportunities to do that, and and I would predict that should produce better results. What has your own path been like? I do feel like studying this, learning about the tools has made me much more effective in my own career and much more forgiving of myself as a human uh, as opposed to slipping up, which I do all the time and saying, you know, I'm a failure. This is a disaster. It's diagnostic of who I am and what I'm capable of. I think actually it's given me a mindset. And this comes from research too, by the way. There's wonderful work by Carol Dweck at Stanford University showing that when we have a growth mindset and we say, I can get better, there are ways that I can grow. We, we put in more effort. We end up with better outcomes than when I say, I am sort of fixed. I am not a work in progress. This is, I have a certain capacity and I can't get any better. I love that you brought us to Carol Dweck's work because most of what we do in our life is not about arriving at the static moment that the change has taken effect. It's about the pursuit of change. And the pursuit of change is a beautiful way to live a life. I 100% agree with that. I also think that if your goal is dichotomous, right? And you talked about setting the New Year's resolution of becoming a vegetarian. Okay, we we end up with a lot of failures. Mostly New Year's resolutions fail, for example. But But very few goals are truly dichotomous in terms of thinking about have I grown as a person? Because as you said, okay, you're not still a vegetarian, but your diet is better. And that 
is really important too. And that's one of the functions of trying to change and trying to grow. It's not that we'll always reach our destination, but that we're moving in a good direction. And so I think that's important to keep in mind as well. This is beautiful, Katie. Oh, you we went up, we went down, we went left, we went right. <laughs> is there anything that we didn't address that you would love to make sure that we talk about if we're going to understand your work or why our listeners should go out and find your book? One thing that we haven't talked about that I think your listeners might really find interesting is the power of giving advice to other people when you're struggling with hmm. a challenge uh, and the power of asking others to give advice when they're struggling with a challenge, which is very counterintuitive. But there's this wonderful research that's been done showing that most of us have the intuition when someone near us is struggling to just offer a bunch of unsolicited feedback to them. And when we're struggling to just go get a bunch of feedback from other people, that's what we think will solve the problem. And and this research by Lauren Eskris Winkler, who's a professor at Kellogg School at Northwestern University, actually says we've got the script wrong when confidence is a barrier to change. So if, if, if you don't know how to do calculus and you need to learn calculus, go get advice, go talk to experts. And um, if somebody doesn't know calculus and they ask you for tips on calculus, you shouldn't say, well, why don't you go try to just figure it out and give other people advice on calculus. That makes no sense. What she's shown, though, is if you lack confidence in your ability to get in shape, to be more productive at work, to um, learn a new language, it actually benefits you to offer advice to other people um, who are struggling with similar challenges because being in a position of advice giver puts you on a pedestal and boosts your confidence. It forces you to introspect about what might work for you. Uh, and then you offer up solutions that you might not have thought of otherwise. And once you do and you suggest something to someone, you're going to feel like a hypocrite if you don't do the same thing yourself. I have started to see in my own life ways that I'm using this um, to great benefit, one of them being that I have an advice club of women with similar career goals. And we reach out to each other when we're not sure what to do about an opportunity. And it, it started out to me mentally as, oh, this is amazing. I sort of have a group of free consultants and I'm providing my own free consulting as a way to make it fair. And I'm going to get all this feedback. It's going to be great. Also, I thought camaraderie might be nice and might be built, but it has had this magic extra thing that I never anticipated, but I now recognize thanks to Lauren's work, which is when I am asked for advice on a challenge a peer is facing and I offer it, I grow. Yeah. Because I see, wow, I actually can think objectively as an outsider through this challenge. It sort of boosts my confidence. I, I do have the tools to figure out what, what's the right thing to suggest to my friend to do. I come up with good solutions and then I face similar challenges myself and I'm totally ready to go. And I have that arm's length distance too when I'm offering the advice that gives me better perspective. But then when the same thing happens to me, I feel ready for it and I, I don't struggle the way I used to. It's amazing. And I think all of us should, one, have advice clubs and two, have the mentality when we're coaching, mentoring other people at work to not always just chime in with our 10 cents or two cents or 20 cents or however many cents you chime in with. But actually, sometimes to ask the person, what would they say to someone else in the same situation? And even to 
to give people who are struggling more mentoring opportunities so they can grow through that experience. And just to push on this one for a second, though, Katie, it also is true that when we perceive ourselves to need advice, we go to the source of information that's going to give us the solutions that we want to hear. We're doing that anyways. I'll give you a really direct example. I have a a good friend, Heather, and she will often call me when she's about to make a purchase, a pair of shoes. And the reason she'll call me for advice is because she knows I'm a penny pincher. I'm a big saver. And my answer is always, do you already have a similar pair? You don't need those. (laughs) So when she actually wants the advice to be buy the shoes, she calls another friend, not me. And I think that that's what actually what we do when we solicit information. We solicit the perspective we are looking for. So then we could ask ourselves the question or we could give the advice ourselves without that outsider, which is really interesting. Exactly. That was Katie Milkman. She does so much deeply cool work on the science of change. Visit her online at katymilkman.com to learn more. Learn all about it. So now I'm bringing back Sarah, just as we did last week, to talk a little bit about what we learned. So, hey, Sarah, what'd you think of that? I loved your conversation with Katie because, you know, Katie talks about the two kinds of researchers, like the people who never have any problems and the people who are like, I'm going into this to figure out my stuff. And she's one of those people who has gone into it to figure out her stuff. And to me, that makes her the perfect leader on this because she's in the trenches with all of us who are struggling to change. I thought that what she had to say was so useful and so good. And like so many academics, it was so clearly backed by so much research that she brought to the table. And that part really was exceptional, right? It was amazing. And she leads with such compassion. Like we know because of all that research, we know that people are going to mess up and people are going to fall off the thing they've set out for themselves. And we know that if they take these steps, they can come back on track. And that to me felt really hopeful as a person who struggles with change. Well, listen, I really loved the advice that she had about advice. This idea that if somebody is looking to you for an answer, one of the ways you can best help them is to ask them how they would answer themselves. Because when you need to formulate advice for someone else, it's often advice that you yourself can take and might not have thought of for yourself. I thought that was so, so great. And then it's not like give advice for advice's sake. It's empower someone to recognize that they already probably have a lot of the tools that they need to solve the problem. The other thing that she did, uh, speaking of working with other people, that was really cool was putting together, I'm just going to call it a board of advisors. I think she had a little bit of a different name for it, but a group of people who you can run your asks against. Like, should I do this thing? Is this in line with, with what I intend to do? And it's so different than going to the friends. Like you talked about the shoe example, right? You have Heather who calls you when she wants to be talked out of buying shoes. We tend to go to people to give us the thing that we know they are inclined to give us. And what I love about Katie having this board of advisors is that because it's a group of people who are in a similar sort of life stage, there's really no chance that she's going to be sort of given just what she wants to hear. She's going to hear a range of opinions and probably get asked a lot of terrific questions. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The other thing I just wanted to call attention to is this idea of if there is a thing that you know that you really should do, but you know yourself that you do not want to do it, pairing it with something that you love to do. Bundling. Bundling. Yeah. 
So what's an example of something that you might think about bundling for yourself? Well, so I am simultaneously trying to watch less television and also to exercise more. And so I really liked her example of bundling, watching something super fun with going to the gym. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about doing that. I also I've been wanting to listen to more podcasts, right? Like the pitfall of making podcasts is that sometimes you don't get to listen out there as much as you like. And I was thinking like, oh, I can take walks with someone else in my ear. Yeah. Those are great examples. What's something you're trying to do or you're um, thinking of doing? Well, you know, I've been working really hard on um, keeping lists, developing my second brain mm -hmm. after our episode with Tiago Forte. In fact, now, as you are listening to this, listeners, I am two months into that. But the simple truth of the matter is that I don't like taking the time between things to go through and organize my notes. I mm -hmm. just find it not fun. So I'm trying this thing where there are a couple of songs I really love to listen to. They kind of inspire me every day. One of them is um, Carole King's Beautiful. I mean, I've really listened to this song on average once a day for the last 10 years. I just think there's so much to it. So I put on that song and I do the list and that so far seems to work really well, or at least it has for the last three days. Amazing. So keep us posted. Here's a great opportunity to let us know how that worked out for you. It's going to be a little while between the time we're sitting in this booth and when everybody will hear this episode. Folks, come to office hours. Jesse and I and some of the Core Hello Monday team members gather together with our community on the LinkedIn news page at 3 p.m. every Wednesday afternoon. That's 3 p.m. Eastern time. Every Wednesday afternoon, you can find us either on the LinkedIn news page or if that feels too complicated for you, just email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. We'll send you a link. And I should say, since you and I are here together, Sarah, we've got a lot of folks who come every week. We usually have around 300 folks in the chat. Um, but there are 25 of you who don't miss it. You know who you are. You're listening right now. We love hearing from you. We feel like you are hearing me and Sarah on this show right now, but we kind of feel like we are hearing you guys in our heads and are so grateful for that. A hundred percent. We are lucky to have such an amazing community. I have heard several times that the Hello Monday Office Hours community is like the nicest place on the internet. And I think that's pretty accurate. Like our community is kind and I value that so much. So come check it out. And of course, if you really want to help the show, rate and review us on any podcast app you listen. I've been listening lately on Pocket Cast. I really like the design. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. Sarah Storm produces our show with mixing by Joe DeGiorgi. Florence Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor are great at making change. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. You've heard today also from the illustrious Sarah Storm. Hey, and hey. we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. I'm in downtown Philly, about half a mile from the University of Pennsylvania, where I work. Philly is basically the outer borough of New York City, right? It, it does feel like a more manageable New York City to me. I love New York, too, I should say. I lived in New York a couple of summers as a college student, and it's a great place. But um, Philly is sort of like living in New York City for a tenth the price.